welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome. Today in the show, I have Dr. Darren Haland. He is a doctor who focuses on critical care medicine and is specifically on the show today to talk about substitute decision-making and who gets appointed to those roles and specifically about what professionals and individuals get wrong about this and how we all need to take a different view as to how we should be appointing people and preparing them in advance for these types of roles. And with that, here's my interview with Dr. Halen. Darren, nice to have you on. Thank you for having me, Jason. So Dr. Darren Haland, please tell us about what it is you do. I'm a critical care doctor, and I work with very complex sick patients who have life-threatening illnesses where we're making life and death decisions. And as you can appreciate, Jason, when you're that sick, you're not able to participate in your own decision-making. And so we're often grabbing a family member or a substitute decision-maker to help us. So imagine the scenario when you're already stressed because you've got a loved one lying there in a bed, critically ill, and we mm-hmm. add stress to the experience by making them a substitute decision-maker. And it led me to wonder, you know, surely we can do this better. Surely we can prepare people better for that decision-making when seriously ill, either for the person themselves, if they're able to voice and find their voice, or more commonly, that substitute decision-maker. Then we better prepare them in advance. And of course, most people go through that will and estate planning process where they're filling out a will, naming a substitute decision-maker. So is that not an opportunity to insert a better planning process as people are thinking ahead and planning ahead from a will and a state point of view. So like all things in life, if you prepare for success, it's all going to basically be more successful. And I completely agree with you. I mean, I, you know, I can't imagine a more stressful situation having a loved one critically ill, not able to make a decision. And, you know, in that moment of grief, if you, in my situation, I think it's different. I will have had this conversation countless times. So I will know to expect what's going to happen next, but you have that moment where you're there and you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen to this person? And doctor's like, okay, so what do you want us to do? I mean, not in that tone, but it's like, oh my God, like what a position to put someone in. And it always, I'll go back to the, not, not quite a joke, but the piece of advice of never appoint your mother. Having to make the end of life decisions for a child, for a parent is difficult enough. As, as one lawyer, well, a female lawyer <laughs> said to me once, it's like, uh, I don't want to do that for my kids. So I, I always tell people never to do it to their mothers. So anyway, so let's let's talk about, besides the, the you know, the, the mom shouldn't be picked up for it. I'm just being tongue in cheek there. Absolutely. They can if they're ready for it. Tell me about it from your viewpoint, what are we doing wrong as an industry or or the lay yeah. people doing wrong? Because some people will arbitrarily pick a power of attorney, right? Without much consideration, because it's this kind of this add-on document to the will, right? Yeah. Other people like advisors who take their time will kind of try to coach you through who we think the ideal person might be, but we're still not getting it right necessarily from your frame or from your point of view. Tell us where we're, where we're dropping the ball. Sure. Great. Again, this is a really important conversation we're having. I would say the majority of substitute decision makers, when put into that space where they have to interact with doctors, lack the awareness, number one, that I, oh, I didn't know I, you know, that my dad named me as, you know, his substitute decision maker or his power of attorney or agent, whatever the legal term is in your province. Or some say, yeah, I, I, I knew that I was named on this form, but we never talked about this. I don't know 
what his wishes and values and preferences would be. So that's the missed opportunity is when we're preparing people and they're in that space of thinking ahead, planning ahead, filling out these forms, let's educate them to capacitate their substitute decision maker with values and preferences that will be expressed in a way that's helpful to me as a critical care doctor or any other emergency room critical care doctor. But the main problem there is that historically and traditionally, we focus on having people predefine their end of life wishes. And so we do see a lot of legal documents where there are instructions in them that say things like, you know, if I am dying, I do or I do not want X, Y, or Z. Fine dying. We're all dying from birth, right? (laughs) Exactly. And, and, And that's exactly the point is I don't know when you are dying. You present to me short of breath or you present to me in shock and you've got a possibility that this could be your dying episode. But there's also the possibility you could recover from this. And so plans laid under the certainty of I'm dying or when I am dying, this is what I want or this is what I don't want. Or if I am in this state, say a persistent vegetative state, this is what I want, this is what I don't want, isn't helpful to me because I'm upstream here working with a very sick patient where I'm uncertain about their outcome. So we have to think about, well, how do we make decisions under conditions of uncertainty? In fact, it's not actually not the paradigm. The paradigm is how do I prepare you or your substitute to interact with doctors at that point when they're seriously ill and express their values and preferences in a way that we can make the best decision for them? So we're we're trying to move away from end-of-life planning. We're trying to move away from instructional directives, you know, making decisions in advance, but rather, you know, naming that, that substitute decision maker and capacitating them to express authentic values and inform treatment preferences so that when serious illness arrives, and gosh, with COVID around, you know, it could be tomorrow or it could be whenever, but when serious illness arrives, you know, we've got a plan in place. We're able to verbalize authentic values and inform treatment preference. Interesting. So, you know, it's not so much that we're dropping the ball by not having these conversations. We're having the we're dropping the ball by not going deep enough in these conversations right. and talking about not just, okay, well, you're close to death. So therefore no heroic measures or whatever term we're going to use, yeah. but there is a large degree of interpretation as to both those terms from close to death to the no heroic measures. So, you know, you've been on a lack of better term, one man campaign to improve the conversation around this. Tell me what you've done to date to help raise awareness of this and guide people through it. Yeah, actually, it's not been a one-man campaign. I've been part of a national... I'm giving you credit. Take credit. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) It's just... Okay, good. Credit where credit is due. Here we go. But for 20 years, my colleagues and I have been researching this space, trying to understand how to improve communication and decision-making in the context of serious illness. And I was part of the founding development of what we call the Speak Up campaign, which is a national advanced care planning process, you know, many, many years ago, trying to create that awareness of thinking ahead and planning ahead. But as of late, you know, I've evolved this concept, again, informed by the research that we need to you know, shift this paradigm. It's not about end of life. It's about serious illness. It's not about making decisions in advance. It's about preparing people for future decision making. And then so what that led to was the evolution of what I call plan well guide. So online, virtual educational process where I work a person through determining what their authentic values are and their informed treatment preferences. They go through that process. They come away with that with a three-page dear doctor letter, we call it, but it's the 
output of their planning process. And it basically says things like, dear doctor, I, I've been through this planning process. I understand the difference between serious illness and terminal illness. Here are my authentic values. Here are my informed treatment preferences. Here are my open questions and any further issues I'd like to discuss with you. So that, that document then serves as a script for them when they interact with doctors so that they give me meaningful information about things that are important that will make better medical decisions, but it also serves as a script for their substitute. So it's gonna decrease the stress and anxiety that substitute experiences if and when they're called up to represent that person. So that's what I'm about. I'm, and I'm looking for opportunities such as with financial planners and lawyers to help get that message out when they're meeting with their clients in that space of thinking ahead and planning ahead. Well, that's part of the reason for the interview. So um, <laughs> let's go through that list. So I want to talk about the, the specific topics that you cover as part of this process. So what you're taking us through this journey to make sure that we end up with something that is as fully informed and as understandable by the people around you to eliminate that stress and that question. Tell me what it is you're educating them about. What it is? What are the action items you're trying to derive from this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that people realize that these are complex decisions where errors are being made. And we've documented that and published it in the literature. So you can't be a passive vessel when you get sick. You've got to be as much as you can actively managing your health, your healthcare decision-making. You've got to, if you can't, because you're so sick, you have to empower your, your advocate, your family member, your substitute decision-maker. So the first thing I explain is the nature of decision-making and how that works and what's important that we hear as doctors to make better or the best decisions for you. And that comes back to this issue of authentic values. Unfortunately, a lot of people and a lot of doctors go about that process of talking about values in a very loose, irreproducible way. And so part of what we do with Plan Will Guide is we educate people on how to express those values in a very transparent, reliable, valid way that then can lead to better decision-making. The other assumption we make in healthcare is that I can it can be as simple as Hey, Jason, you know, if your heart stops, what do you want us to do? So as if you are an informed consumer and you know the difference between CPR or ICU or comfort measures, and then and all we have to do is ask you. Whereas, again, our research informed by surveying hundreds of people in scores of hospitals tells us differently that you are not an informed consumer. And I don't say that in a derogatory way. I say that in a descriptive, real situation. That you Anyone who, who has a, who's a, you know, isn't suffering from serious issues of a hubris and isn't in a medical practitioner will agree that they don't yeah. know. I mean, I, as much as I spent time around doctors and all these issues, I don't know. Yeah. And therefore, part of what we do in Plan Well Guide is we educate people at a high level, not in a way that I, I hope we're not overwhelming people, but we help them have a general understanding of the risks and benefits and outcomes, possible outcomes of CPR, cardiopulmonary resuscitation, of going to the ICU, of going to the hospital ward and just getting medical care, or of comfort care. So you, you can gain an appreciation by going through Plan Will Guide of, of these different buckets of care and get a sense. And we work you through a process to try and help you get a sense of what might be right for you. And I emphasize the word might, because again, we're not coaching you to make a medical decision today about some future care that you're going to receive, which is the current paradigm. We're coaching you on understanding what future decision-making looks like and what you need to say and in the way you need to say it, that will then come together with in that moment with your illness, with your doctor to make the best decision for you. Excellent. So basically taking them through this journey, making sure that they've got it all planned out. I mean, this is very much in, in the planner's realm of what we do in so many other things, but you know, now we're going deeper on a document that was also kind of 
I just say it's almost like the you want fries with that option that comes with it because it's, you know, you're going to get the, hey, let's get the power attorney done at the same time. And it's vital. You need those things. But they're, they're almost afterthoughts to the complex cases we sometimes deal with with wills, but incredibly important. So basically, people go through this journey. They end up with this directive document, which is fantastic because now we, we have a much more realistic view of how things should be handled. What are the next steps? Are you, are you advocating for family meetings to, to basically pass this on to the people responsible for this? Yeah. Can I just back, back up a little bit and respond to how oftentimes, you know, the personal director or the power of attorney is more of an afterthought. And that's exactly what happens in, in practice today, where the focus is on something else. The focus is on the will or the focus is on the broader financial planning point of view. And I really hope that changes because that's where we need help in partnership with lawyers and financial planners is to, is to really beef that up a little bit because you're, you're capacitating somebody to make decisions for you. Um, not only these life and death medical decisions, but imagine you have a serious illness and you survive, but now you're alive and in an incapacitated state. You know, there's, there's more decisions being made for you about your personal care. And you want that power of attorney or that representative to really, you know, be acting in your best interests and, and, and supporting you through that difficult stage of life. And so we need to put more emphasis on the naming of said individual, their qualifications, their ability to communicate, to coordinate, to collaborate. And the more we make this transparent about what the person's wishes were in the context of the family, so not just that one person who's named the, the agent, but the, the whole family culture is aware of mom and dad's wishes. It'll be a smoother journey if and when that serious illness comes or if and when that being alive and incapacitated state comes. So yeah, visit Planable Guide, do your planning, but then there has to be a process whereby you're, you're communicating that to your substitute decision maker and to the broader family culture that you live in. So everybody knows what the game plan is if mom or dad or whoever you know, become seriously ill and either dies in the one instance or they recover and they could be fine and regain their own capacity or they could recover and be still living in an incapacitated state. I mean, it goes back to the need for these meetings in the first place. And I find many people are often reluctant to do so. I mean, I've often said, um, people who've been reluctant, I've said, look, we can, we can talk about what happens without getting into the numbers. Like, I don't have to tell you about numbers, but it's important that you understand, people understand the reasoning and understand the wishes. And this call falls right into that category, right? And, you know, if the, the more we can communicate with people in advance of this being an issue, the better, because the last thing I, I always say, like, do you really want them opening up an envelope after you're gone or when you're in a bad position and then reading it and being like, what the heck, you know, dad wanted this, right? Like this is how problems start in families is the lack of communication. So I'm a big advocate of that. So talk to me about from, I mean, you've been advocating for this. I'm curious, have you ever been a doctor who's received one of these when the time came for someone else? No, you mean the, the dear doctor letter or the current practice of living with the, the dear doctor letter? No, I'm, I'm not actively practicing anymore. So I'm not at the receiving end of my own tools, but I'm collaborating with a number of doctors, both in primary care and acute care. We've had tremendous positive feedback from doctors on the receiving end of these dear doctor letters. Not only does it increase the quality of the conversation they're having with patients, but it reduces the time that they have to spend with the patient on said conversation because they've now got an informed person where they have to spend less time educating and more time just getting to gold, getting to that bottom line. So tremendous positive feedback from doctors. Excellent. Well, I mean, doctors aren't exactly um, suffering from an abundance of time when they're on shifts, right? So anything that takes away from the cognitive burden or the stress or the role of having to play counselor in these situations 
must be a welcome, welcome uh, change of, of pace. So basically, this can be a thorny issue for some people. Have you found much resistance to people you've approached to on this, on, on how to have this conversation? Or are they like, you know what, I really should have this conversation or should should go through these steps? Because I mean, it's hard enough to get people to think about what happens when they die because of the fear of death. The fear of we'll call morbidity or near death, I got to think is almost a more frightening thing for some people. So has that been um, a hard conversation starter? No, in fact, my sense is the level of interest in this serious illness planning has escalated tremendously with the help of COVID, unfortunately, right? Because COVID is an example of a serious illness where there's a probability that people can die, but there's also a probability that they can recover. Yeah, and unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, there's always a spike in the activity on uh, for, for state lawyers when there's some sort of crisis or event. I mean, like whether it's 9-11 or COVID or whatever it is, something that reminds us all that we're human. Suddenly it's like we should get our wheels redone. It's like, yeah, well, you should have, you, just, you didn't need it. You didn't need a disaster to make it happen. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think the changing of the language from end of life, like we have 80 year olds say to us, Oh, I don't want to do my advanced medical care planning because I'm not sick enough. I'm not near death yet. So we can get rid of that excuse by saying, well, no, 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 we're not talking about planning your death. We're talking about serious illness. You could cross the street today and get hit by a car and we would need to activate these serious illness plans or you could catch you know, COVID. And so it's a, it's a much more acceptable and understandable concept to plan for serious illness than to plan for death. And the other thing that I think is a message that I keep pounding that I think is being heard as if if you ignore or deny, you know, leaning into this space, there will be consequences. You will more likely to get the wrong medical care, which will then add to your personal suffering and you're adding to your family suffering as they journey with you through this serious illness. So the Failure to engage has negative consequences for you and your family. So why not? Why not spend 20 minutes of your time, lean into this space, have a few conversations, and then you can buy that piece of buy. I mean, it's a free tool, but you're buying with your time a peace of mind that you'll get, you're more likely to get the medical care that's right for you, and you will have done your family a favor. Absolutely. <laughs> Massive favor. I mean, I always say if you want to see a family fall apart, go ahead and leave a leave an estate that's not organized. And uh, I had to think this is this is not this is probably the first step of how bad that goes. Right. It's the it's the end of life decisions that they put the stress under. And it's like they just get through that. And then it turns around. And it's like, oh, in addition to that, that that mom didn't organize themselves. And now we're left fighting over everything. So, yeah, it's um, it's, it's funny. If I if we had met earlier, I would have included you in my four part series on estate planning as kind of the last piece. But nevertheless, I'm glad we did get in contact. So in terms of where to get started, you have a website, the Planwell Guide. And that is what website? Well, can you give me the URL for that? Planwellguide.com, is it? Planwellguide, all one word, dot com. Yeah. Okay. And even for professionals and advisors who are listening, there is a toolkit that can be downloaded, which I finally got around to doing while we're on this call, <laughs> that basically will provide tools that will help facilitate those conversations and actually go through the checklist. Is that correct? Yeah. And if I may just expand on that a little bit, Jason, like if you're a lawyer listening and you work in that world of estate planning space, when you're having that conversation with your client about wills, estate, power of attorneys, personal directives, whatever. We've got some language up there on our website and some tools that you can download. We're asking you to stop making instructional directives and codify you know, the person's values and preferences using that dear doctor letter mm -hmm. that can be included in your planning documents for them. 
um, if you're a financial planner, obviously you're still you know recommending to your client to do their will and estate planning. So this conver- this health conversation, this serious illness planning conversation fits there for you as a financial planner. But probably you're also speaking to them about you know serious illness or contingency funds or emergency funds or critical illness insurance or disability insurance. I mean this this is under that broader you know serious illness planning conversation that you're having with your clients and uh, planning for the medical care part fits well. So make a referral, the plan will guide. And again, there's tools in there, both virtual and hard copy that you can download and print to enable that that easy referral to plan well guide for, for people to use it. Excellent. No, I mean, honestly, this is a incredibly valuable message. I mean, anything that alleviates a family stress in a time of need and, and discomfort and great emotional pain is incredibly valuable. And I would say in addition to that, going having gone the extra mile that you've done about putting together online resources for consumers, online resources for professionals, expanding and trying to reach out to us. I mean, you're doing you're doing some great work out there. And I, I sincerely thank you for it. We're going to link to the website in the show notes as well. And I highly encourage everyone to take a look at the website as well as if you're in the space, lawyer, advisor, whatever it is to download the toolkit and, and definitely make use of it. Because frankly, there is no downside for you, but there's a tremendous amount of downside for the average Canadian who doesn't have something like this. And I will also say it's not too far from some of the other stuff we'll have. Like sometimes... Sometimes clients will want to put in some, you know, I want to tell my kids this story of whatever it was in, you know, or why I came to these conclusions and everything else in the will. And it's like, that's, that's not for the will. You know, sometimes we'll just do an addendum letter where they just write a letter to the family after they're gone that they can post on top of it. And, you know, this is, this is no different. It's just that it's before they're gone and when, when that decision needs to be made. So it's not like this is a foreign concept. It's just, you know, a different application of it. So Darren, I sincerely thank you for this. Again, uh, this has been great. And I hope that everyone takes the time to go check this out. And I hope your message gets up there more and I'm going to do what I can to help. So I uh, appreciate it. No, and I thank you for helping me get the message out, Jason. And I, I want your listeners to realize that this is a, a work in progress. If you have better ideas on how I can communicate what I'm communicating on the website, or if there's different tools that you think I can create to enable you as a planning professional to be more effective in messaging this to your clients, reach out to me. My, my email is all over the website, so please don't hesitate to reach out. This is a, it's a free tool. It's, it's funded through the research that I've been doing, and I'm just uh, keen to help people think ahead and plan ahead so we alleviate human suffering. Fantastic. Well, thank you yet again for joining us for Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. Uh, this was a particularly important message, I think, specifically because this is all about alleviating pain and discomfort in the worst of times. So um, hope you took us all to heart and please uh, do take up uh, Dr. Highland's resources online because it's definitely uh, paramount importance. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever's in your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you. 